Hi, everyone. Happy Sunday. Uh, we thought we would take today to have a conversation about financial planning, um, insurance planning after a dementia diagnosis. We've heard a lot of your comments um, on beingpatient.com. Um, a lot of people saying that they're tearing out their hair, trying to navigate insurance, um, financial planning, um, especially in the US um, for, for uh, those in our audience who are here in the US. Um, so we thought we would go to an expert today to really understand what we should be doing, how we should be planning. Um, joining us now is is Kim Nadovitz. She is from Tribridge Partners and joins us from Maryland. Thanks so much for joining us, Kim. Happy to be here. So it's not really a um, Sunday topic, but you know, might as well do it while we can. Um, and it, it's an important one. Um, we have heard so much from people who start to plan when there's a lot of urgency. And when I say urgency, what I mean is their partner, um, their spouse can no longer really take care of themselves anymore. Financially, they, they have to maybe quit their job. They go from a two income household to a one income household, and it becomes very draining, understandably for the family. So, you know, when should we start thinking about our future planning, even, you know, is it even before we have a diagnosis? That's a great question. And I think you're right. Uh, you know, once the house is on fire, so to speak, you know, we really can't buy um, homeowners insurance. So I think that we all have to think about planning for long term care really as part of our overall um, financial plan. And for many people, it is it really is the missing piece. Um, you know, we're mandated to have car insurance. If we have a mortgage, we have homeowners insurance as an example. And then most of us will obtain our health insurance either through an employer or through an exchange. But long-term care planning is something that most of us have to really tackle on our own. And I think if you have a family member who has had you know, Alzheimer's or dementia as an example, it's especially important for you to really look at beginning your planning sooner rather than later. Okay, so let's just first pick apart long-term care insurance. Sure. Um, I, I've spoken to people in the insurance industry who have said that they're actually uh, not offering long-term um, care anymore um, for the very reason that there's huge amounts of aging population, number one, and also the, um, the worrisome rates of an increase in dementia diagnosis. And those two things alone can be very taxing for someone looking ahead, especially now that the baby boomers are all aging. So um, is, is there long-term care available now? There is. There are fewer carriers that are writing long-term care insurance, um, but some of that really has to do with the investment climate at this point in time. There are some care in insurance companies invest largely in fixed income. They play, they pay claims from reserves and from premiums. And right now, insurance companies are having a tough time really earning anything. Um, on their reserves. There have been a number of carriers who entered the long-term care insurance industry and decided that they really just weren't getting enough market share 
And if it wasn't something that they were really selling enough of, um, the ROI on other products was really, you know, just uh, much better. I think we've seen a, tr a shift really from the traditional long-term care product exclusively to life insurance policies with long-term care riders. Uh, there are also annuities with long-term care riders. There are short-term care products. So I think what we've seen is that over the last 25 years, there is more of a portfolio of products in, in terms of planning for long-term care, not just the traditional standalone product, but there are still a lot of good products available. So this would be rolled into your life insurance. For example, you would have long-term care attached to your life insurance policy at, instead of just an entirely separate product. Is that, is that what you correct, said? Correct. So there are, um, you know, employers are offering um, life insurance policies with long-term care riders, as an example, um, that are meant to be uh, ported when you retire. Uh, insurance companies are also offering almost, I mean, I think on, almost every carrier at this point in time has introduced a long-term care rider on a life insurance policy. Uh, there are annuities also, uh, and then so short-term care. So what specifically do they cover? Like, is it, okay, I'm working, you know, um, I'm middle-aged and I'm, I have an employer who has um, maybe an offer. Um, I, I want to take out a life insurance policy and it says, okay, there's long-term care benefits um, to that. What is, what am I getting? Sure. So you might be getting uh, a life insurance policy, maybe anywhere from hundred thousand to three hundred thousand dollars of death benefit that you can accelerate the death benefit during your lifetime if you need to pay for long-term care and whatever does that mean need. that i can use my death benefit while i'm still alive should i correct. Need? okay correct exactly exactly and those policies i think can be very attractive for uh some of us to long-term care insurance, unlike health insurance, where we're typically buying what I would call more first-dollar coverage, with long-term care, most of us who buy an insurance policy, you know, we typically plan to pay for some of the expenses out of pocket if we need to hire a professional caregiver. Many of us will uh, envision receiving some care from a spouse or a partner. So insurance is, you know, one of the ways that we will fund the cost of care. But unlike health insurance, you know, it's not the it may not be the first product that we rely on. OK, and let me tell you a, a story that I've heard more sure. than one time. Um, it seems to be um, common in the sense. OK, so we know that Medicare deals with 50, 65 and above, right? Yeah. Um, you're 65 and above, you're entitled to Medicare. Um, but Medicare doesn't really cover in-home services, as I understand it. Um, Correct. It's it, yeah, it's more like hospitalization or, you know, doctors, procedures, etc. Um, so if you are uh, diagnosed with dementia and to the point where you actually need in-home care, people uh, want some people turn to Medicaid. Right. Um, but the story that I've heard around this and I don't know how much of this is correct because it's from people in our audience who have said, but 
you know, I have to spend down my savings in order to qualify. Like, so you basically virtually have to bankrupt yourself in order to qualify for Medicaid. Is that true? So I would say yes and no. So um, Medicare was designed to play, pay for really skilled care that has a beginning and an end to restore function. So by definition, since dementia is typically irreversible and there is no skilled care that can um, essentially you know, return a person to turn back the clock, so to speak, Medicare doesn't participate in the cost of care for someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia. So Medicaid, um, it really depends on your circumstance and what state you are in. So there are certain states where there may be um, different opportunities in terms of to buy a long-term care insurance product that has what's called partnership protection. So these are policies where in addition to what Medicaid says, you can set aside as an example for a community-based spouse, there can be additional monies equivalent to what was paid out under a long-term care policy so that the person who is going to be left, quote unquote, in the community not needing care will have more assets from there. This is also where I think it's really important to consult with an elder law attorney, because while you do have to meet certain um, income thresholds in order to qualify for Medicaid, there may be ways to shore up, uh, quote unquote, the house for the person who doesn't need care in terms of can you, you know, use assets to pay off your mortgage or other strategies or even create a stream of income depending upon the state that you live in where a spouse could be, have some protection. But in general, you're right, um, Medicaid typically does require that you deplete a lot of your assets. But there are also, um, you know, I think there are a lot of subsidized programs available through various states for uh, adult daycare or other types. Now, certainly during COVID, many of those are not available. But, uh, you know, in my community, there are a lot of senior services that are, um, you know, tax exempt organizations that rely on um, grants and individual contributions and that can provide some respite care if someone is caring for a family member who has dementia, as an example. Um, I think the Office on Aging in each community can be a great place to start to find out what resources are available to support individuals um, within different communities. Yeah, because it does really vary state to state um, in terms state of- to state and county to county. Quite yeah. Frankly. Yeah. So um, we have a question. Can you tell us um, about how disabil disability insurance can help? Sure. So that's a great question. So disability insurance policies are income replacement policies. So I had a client um, just recently, as a matter of fact, who he had a stroke and he was not able to return to work. Um, because of paralysis and cognitive issues. So his employer had what's called a short-term disability and a long-term disability plan 
he no longer received a check from his company, but he received benefits from both his short-term and now his long-term disability carrier. Um, and some long-term disability policies also have additional benefits if someone needs long-term care services. So his policy actually provided an additional benefit that helped pay for some of the home care. But disability insurance is income replacement and really doesn't address, uh, unless there is that long-term care rider, expenses associated with home health care or if someone needs to be in a facility, as an example. I mean, and for dementia, you're talking about, you know, a number of years um, in some cases, right? I mean, the, the person, after you're diagnosed, there's not a lot of care that's needed per se, but, you know, as, as a person goes um, longer into the disease it, um, and into neurodegeneration, um, you know, you're talking about quite substantial care in, in a lot of cases. And that's very true. So a lot of the clients that I've worked with where, you know, a spouse or a partner has had dementia, you know, initially um, there really hasn't been any paid care that's been needed. You know, one, responsibilities might shift between the spouses where, you know, the person who maybe was more financially literate um, who has dementia, now those tasks are, you know, given to the other spouse or vice versa. But you're right, it could be a number of years before somebody needs, um, you know, full-time care, correct? Is it is it too late once you get a diagnosis to get any type of insurance? It is too late for um, you to get insurance if you are the person who has the diagnosis. But I do think it is it would make sense at that point in time to think about whether a spouse or a partner should have insurance, knowing that perhaps assets are going to be depleted more quickly for that spouse that does not have any insurance. So I do think it makes sense for the um, spouse or partner who doesn't have the, you know, the diagnosis to investigate if that's appropriate. But yeah. that wouldn't that wouldn't care for the spouse. I mean, so so let's say the husband is diagnosed with dementia, the wife is is okay. Um, so you're saying the wife should look into longer term care insurance for herself. Right. Is that right yeah. for herself? Exactly. Not cover the husband, right? No. Now there are some carriers, however. Let's say, and I, you know, I used to say lightning doesn't strike twice, but I, I see that it does. There are some long-term care insurance policies that may have a rider that will pay additional benefits if the healthy spouse becomes disabled and needs care, assuming that she was the caregiver for, um, for the disabled spouse. So sometimes there can be you know, some planning that's done after the fact. Um, sometimes some families will look into uh, buying an annuity. Um, I've seen some strategies around that where there is, you know, some income uh, that the person can't outlive in terms of paying for care. What, what exactly is an annuity? So an annuity is where an insurance company if you give them a, um, a deposit, they will guarantee an income for, for that individual's life 
or perhaps for that individual's life as well as something for a survivor as an example. Um, so there can be on their earnings. Is it, is it based on their er earnings or no, it's based upon whatever deposit you would give to them almost a money purchase um, idea. So, so um, what are, I mean, you know, the, the cost of care can be staggering um, mm -hmm. in this country. Um, what is the rough estimate of costs for home health aid, um, daycare services and, and long-term care? Sure. Okay. You know, adult daycare uh, is usually because I find often it's subsidized. I see adult daycare programs that are, you know, anywhere from 60 to $100 a day, as an example. Um, the cost of having a home health aid, somebody who comes into your home and is providing care, you know, those costs range anywhere, I'd say, from, you know, 15 to $17 on the low end to as much as 25 or $26. Um, care in a facility where someone needs specific you know, memory care, you know, can be anywhere from, uh, you know, six to $8,000 a month. And in some communities, anywhere from, you know, over $12,000 a month, uh, depending upon what part of the country you're living in. And in which situation would, um, would uh, memory care in a facility be covered? So memory care in a facility um, for someone who are you talking about in terms of Medicaid as an example? Yeah, or if you if you have a loved one and you've decided you need memory care for that right. loved one, right. so what scenario would cover that or is, is a lot of it out of pocket? So it's largely out of pocket unless you have a long-term care insurance policy. Long-term care insurance policies will pay for care at home meaning it, you're bringing the healthcare delivery system to you and you have an aide that's coming in, sometimes just for a couple of hours a day, as an example, to give a spouse or partner some respite care. It will also pay for care in an assisted living facility or in a, a skilled care facility from there. Depending upon the state, again, you know, Medicaid, so in Maryland, as an example, where I am, you know, Medicaid does not participate uh, does not really offer home care, as opposed to a state like New York, where the Medicaid program for home care is much more, you know, robust from there. So in Maryland, as an example, if you don't have long-term care insurance, if you have exhausted, you know, your assets, and you can qualify, Medicaid will pay for care in a facility, um, as opposed to at home. Right. I, I want to just touch on the topic of genetics because more and more people are learning um, their genetic status, um, in particular the APOE4 um, genetic variant, um, which you know doesn't mean you're 100% going to end up with Alzheimer's, but does um, give you an elevated risk. Now, we've been told over and over again that insurance companies aren't going to get this type of information, but you know, there's a lot of skepticism around the topic. Sure. Like, yeah. What do we know about, let's say someone has innocently gotten their 23andMe and found out that they do have a genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's. Now that information now is out there, right? I mean, it's supposed to be protected in private and whatnot, but it's still out there. Um, is there a risk in that? 
So I don't think so at this point in time. You know, the insurance companies are the underwriting for long-term care insurance is uh, first of all a telephone interview usually where there's cognitive screening and then it's usually records from your um, primary care physician or specialist as an example and they're usually not going to contain that type of information however uh, carriers are beginning to ask for information about family medical history specifically do you have a parent uh, or sibling who has a diagnosis of dementia or Alzheimer's and there are some carriers that are limiting the amount of benefit that an individual can buy when there is already um, family medical history as an example but even with the limitations that some carriers are placing um, you can still buy you know a significant amount of protection what age do you think people should buy? I mean, I'm I'm assuming you think long-term care is is a good thing, or does it vary? Yeah, you, you know, I I think that's such an individualized question. Um, so, but I can give you a couple of generalizations. First, I would say if you have a family member, a mother or a father or a sibling, um, that has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. I might look at purchasing coverage sooner rather than later um, because underwriting can change. And right now we know that some carriers are beginning to limit benefits. So I would want to be able to evaluate whether this makes sense, um, you know, while I still, while I still had the opportunity. Then I think it's a question of everybody's individual financial situation. Um, you know, the, and I, as I always say, perfection shouldn't be the enemy of good. So having some long-term care insurance would certainly be better than not having anything at all. But I think, you know, we all have priorities in terms of looking at our overall financial plan. But again, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. And certainly having some long-term care insurance would be better than not having anything at all. I would say that most people begin looking at long-term care insurance, I would say on average, you know, about a decade before they retire. Um, and so I'd say, you know, most of my clients who are investigating whether this makes sense or not are probably beginning to look at this, you know, in their 50s or so. Um, younger, if they have significant family history, around uh, needing long-term care. Right. Um, so there's just a comment that's being made right now saying, if a person cannot afford memory care, one applies for Medicaid to cover the expense. If there is any retirement income, it all go goes towards memory care apart from $50 a month. That's kept for patient expenses. And that would be true for someone who is single However, if you are married, depending upon what state um, you live in, there are uh, typically allowances for what's called a community-based spouse to keep some assets. That's why it's really important to get information as early as you can with regard to you know, what you can do if you have a spouse or a partner to make sure 
that um, they will be able to live independently um, you know, as your needs for care increase. But that's, so, that's true. So what can people do to help manage all of this? And there's a question, who can help us manage our funds? Um, you know, in the long care, long term and from day to day. So if people need help, which I mean, we've heard a lot of desperate people say, I've spent all day trying to navigate, you know, the Medicare Medicaid system. And I've been on the phone and I've talked to 20 different people and I have no, no answers to my questions. So where do people go for help? So I think there are a couple of different places. So, you know, while, um, well, people who are planning for long-term care obviously want to be very careful with how we spend any money. You know, there are what's called aging life professionals, and sometimes maybe paying for some time with an aging life professional, having a conversation with them, I think that may um, lend itself to a lot of information. I also would suggest um, the National Association of Elder Law Attorneys, their website is a great resource because you can find elder law attorneys in your state and often in your county. And what I find is they tend to post a tremendous amount of resources in their blogs and, and so on from there. Um, and then, of course, the, you know, the Office on Aging as well. Um, I would say there are also different financial advisors who specialize in working with families who have Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, so those might be some places to find, you know, some resources as well. Right. Um, what about other, other, okay, so there's care of the individual. Um, there's also, um, could you be covered for things like home modifications that you have to make inside the home? Is there, there insurance um, for that? So if you have long-term care insurance, long-term care insurance policies typically have some benefits specifically for some home modifications or for a life alert or other systems um, for individuals to be able to be safe in their home. Right. So what is the, I mean, how much should we spend? Let's say we have, we don't have long-term care yet, but we want it. I, what, what can we expect uh, to spend? Uh, what's the range? So I would say that, you know, to buy long-term care insurance, I would say that many individuals can buy some coverage um, for as little as, you know, maybe $2,000 a year. Um, depending upon how much coverage, you know, they, they want to have. Um, and that would be for a long-term care insurance policy. There are short-term care policies, which will um, provide benefits that will be for a year or less, as an example, that can be less expensive. But I think you can, you know, you can certainly buy some long-term care insurance um, for a relatively small co cost. And again, the idea being, um, you know, let's not let perfection be the enemy of good. I also think that more of us should, you know, be looking at whether a reverse mortgage is something that could be appropriate um, for, for people who want to be able to stay in their own home. As an example, um, I think those programs, uh, there are more of them available 
And I do think that they're going to be another, you know, source of funds to help pay for care. How would a reverse mortgage help pay for care? So, well, if you have equity in your house, um, you can essentially um, find a mortgage where instead of your buying your home through a mortgage, where you can access the equity in your home and receive uh, essentially funds from that uh, equity in your home, and that loan can be ex extinguished. You know, when you leave the home and sell it. And I think that that's going to be, you know, another source for individuals who um, maybe have not had an opportunity to plan for care, but want to stay in their own homes. Great. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I think this conversation, I mean, you're really great at it, making things uh, more simple to understand. Um, I'm sure it's, it's, um, much appreciated. Um, and you certainly now have me thinking about uh, going out and purchasing long-term care. It's always in hindsight, right? If you don't do it, you think, oh, I should have done that. But um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you, you know, so much for having this program and, you know, a venue for people to get their questions answered. Yeah. So I'm happy to have helped. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, so if you missed any of this interview, please um, go to beingpatient.com. We always post these interviews. Um, if you have more questions, uh, feel free uh, to post it um, in um, the Facebook um, uh, that you're watching on, or you can also email us at info at beingpatient.com. Uh, don't forget to sign up for our newsletters. Our newsletters always keep you updated as to when uh, the next upcoming talks are, or you can go onto our website, beingpatient.com, and look under the ta uh, talk tabs, and we'll let you know about upcoming talks. Thanks very much for watching, everyone, and have a great Sunday.